Howdy, everybody. I'm Robert. Shalom to all of our listeners. <laughs> Can you think of a greater juxtaposition of howdy, everybody, versus shalom to our listeners? Yeah, I was trying to get you. I was trying to start the show without you being ready. Oh, and it worked. Yeah. Wait, are we recording? We are recording. No, we're not. Are we, we are. Shalom to all of our listeners. I'm Robert. And I'm Ira. And this is Money Shot. Yes, and with is. us, we have a very special guest. Craig, say hello. Hello. <laughs> Craig, we're going to get it to you in just a minute, but first got to set up a few things. So this week we're going to review Blade Runner 2049. We also have our top five sci-fi films in store. Craig, you have your top five, right? I do. Awesome. I'm ready. And, um, and then we're going to talk about some movies that we've seen this week. We're going to talk about people who've died this week. But first, Craig, let's talk about you. Hi. Let's talk about your yeah. history, your background. So uh, give me a little bit of, of, of where you came from. You're not originally from Los Angeles, are you? I am fourth generation Los Angeles. Are you really? My great-grandmother, 1901 Long Beach from Russia. Wow. My Jewish great-grandmother. You're my cousin. I, probably. Uh, the, my, I, all, it's funny. My great-grandmother and great-grandfather uh, both immigrated different times but, uh, and both ended up in L.A. So my grandmother born here, my dad born here, I was born here. And in my, this room? Yes, now, I, it should be noted, we're in a very special room, by the way. Ira, where are we? Where are we? That's what I was going to ask you. We're actually upstairs in the Vista Theater, where we had the premiere for our film, 30 Love. And it's it's Victor. Victor's position at the theater is? He is the manager, Victor Martinez. You know him if you come to see movies here, because he's often in costume. Yes, right. I he saw is. him in a clown's outfit for It. Yes. Yeah. And he told me a really horrible story where everyone wanted a photo, and then a woman wanted him to take a photo with her baby as if he was eating the baby. <laughs> and he was like, I'm sorry, I can't. What's horrible about that? That's awesome. <laughs> so we're in Victor's office upstairs in the Vista Theater, and on the walls, it's it's a potpourri of, of posters and objects of art, and it's, it's very eclectic and it's got an incredible vibe we're honored and thrilled to be here i see a signed poster of inglorious bastards from quentin tarantino right yeah and it's funny he he took down a photo that's in here of him and tarantino and tarantino loves to show his movies here and there's a photo from kill bill and i saw that with the pussy wagon parked out front and victor said tarantino used to give him the keys so victor was responsible for the keys to that car that's awesome well, okay. Now I cut you off because I was talking. We were talking about your grandmother, oh, no, 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 and no, your background history. But let me be concise. Yeah, okay. no, fourth generation, born in the valley, and uh, uh, born and raised here. Went to USC. Uh, did a semester in Prague. Lived in Malaysia when I was fifteen. What was I your did, major at USC? Uh, film. Okay. Yeah. And then you went to Prague and I did a semester shot the there. Born Identity movie. No. Right. Oh. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> uh, the, no, did a semester in Prague when I was nineteen. Uh, lived in Malaysia when I was fifteen. Uh, USC undergrad and grad have lived here my whole life. Uh, went to El Salvador to ask my then girlfriend's uh, father for her hand in marriage, and uh, now we have a six-week-old child. Congratulations! Six weeks old. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Martha and little. Craig. Hey, the dick works, Craig. Nice job. <laughs> Jeez. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. I, I'd like to Thank apologize. You. Wait. Well, do you guys remember The Departed? It's funny when you say that. There's a great monologue where Baldwin's talking to Damon about like. It's good that Damon got his girlfriend pregnant because it means your dick works. It's like now you can run for political office. <laughs> so wait, I'm sorry, you said you have a child. Is it? Did you say boy or girl? Boy. Boy. Craig Sabino Hamill. Okay, good. Because if it was a girl, you know, you got to kill him, right? No, and throw it back in. No. I come no? from a family of four sisters and two brothers. Oh yeah. So like four no counts and then two. Uh, no, I was surrounded by very intelligent <laughs> women. Doctor, two doctors, uh, an incredible graphic artist. And um, oh, wow. someone who works for uh, Boeing and the aeronautics. So, 
and in strong grandmother, strong grandmother. So wow, uh, that's some brains going on in there. Yes, somebody working over at Skunk Works or something. All right, so which high school did you go to? Uh, you know, so my folks divorced when I was six. Dad stayed in L.A. Mom went to Orange County, so I went to Laguna Beach High School. Got it. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah, I roughed it out. <laughs> People used to go surfing at lunch. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so tell us a little about your involvement with film. Now, you you run a very special organization here in Los Angeles called the. It's very kind. Uh, yeah, we had a 35 millimeter secret movie club. Uh, I started it two years ago. Um, I'm a movie maker. Uh, I love film. Um, now I'm not a luddite. Like I, I, I think you need to embrace technology, and mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I think in the end it really is about storytelling and how you use the tools. Uh, but I do love film. So my idea was any movies that were originated on film, like tonight we're doing The Shining. I well, we can still do it before it goes away. I'd love to show it on 35. If you live here in the LA area, you know the Vista is one of the great theaters. Right. So it's like, and the Vista was super kind with me. They were like, as long as you do it at midnight, they gave me a great rate. I started it to learn, because I have a lot of friends who made movies, features. I'm still working to make my first feature. So I have mad respect for you guys, because you guys got it done. Yeah. 30 Love. Um, Thanks. And, uh, well, and you did it well, too. I hope we can talk about it. Uh, the But um, <clears throat> all my friends who made movies ahead of me out of USC were like, look, Making the movie is not even half the marathon. You need to know how to market it, how to sell it, and how to exhibit it. And no one told us that. Yeah. So when everyone, to a person, all my friends who made features were like, you need to know that. So I looked at 35mm uh, Secret Movie Club as a way to show great movies, sit with an audience, but also understand the audience side of it and mm -hmm. the theater and the exhibition side. Because all my friends said, we didn't get that and that really bit us. So it was, uh, it, it sort of killed a number of birds. Horrible metaphor. But. I went to film school in Illinois and it was very much the same way. Like they, I, I know how to handle a C-stand. I, I even, we even did makeup classes, just covered everything. And, and yet when we came out to Los Angeles, I think a lot of us felt unprepared to be able to make a movie and get it out into the hands of, of a viewing public. Well, and what's funny to me, um, and I mean, this could be like a whole eight-hour podcast. It could be our, you know, Bellatar podcast. But but there is such... It's so interesting to me in, in existence how there are people who are amazing at marketing. Yeah. Um, but not necessarily movie makers. And then there are people who are movie makers horrible at marketing. And I think when you see people like Hitchcock or Spielberg uh, who actually create an identity, who have kind of a sense of both, I, I think you just have to accept that movie making is also getting the word out, getting people to see it, people wanting to... Kubrick... Yeah. I think was another one of those who, so th that's constantly on my mind because they're amazing movie makers. No one sees their movie. And then there are people who can market and they get money and they make movies, but they're not that great. Yeah. And so you kind of hope you get filmmakers that can do both. Thank goodness the people that are bad at both, we don't watch their movies. Um, I'm assuming you can, with, with your expertise, you can see the difference in films that are both shot and projected digitally versus on film. You know what's funny about that, Ira, is so last night we did Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me uh, for Secret Movie Club, uh, which is my favorite Lynch film, actually. Um, and uh, we had to do a DCP because of rights issues. Uh, they had the print, and it's a long story, but they had the print, but they couldn't give us because they were changing rights. And I tried to do everything above board because I want to work with all these yeah. people and get prints, so I can't sneak a print in. So we did it, and you know the DCP at this point, good DCPs are pretty amazing. Um, and everybody loved it. No one complained. No one came out. Can saying, you explain like, to everybody what yeah. a DCP is and what it stands for? Yeah, totally. So, a DCP is a digital cinema print. Um, and so, in the old days, for you kids, 
the, they used to show movies on film, uh, which is 35 millimeter. And it literally was a tangible thing, you guys know. Yeah. And you'd run it through a projector and it would come in rolls and reels and you'd have to change them over. Uh, and then... Or splice them all together in yeah. one big platter, right? Yeah, which we do here. Right. Um, and then digital, the quality got to a point where uh, you could make movies for much less money. The studios actually had much more control digitally because they can monitor how many times it's being shown. Mm -hmm. If it was a print, once they released the print, theaters might not report how many times they actually showed it, et cetera, et cetera. So, of course, the studios embraced the technology. Long story short, there have been masterpieces made digitally. Um, you know, I love Celebration. I love Lars von Trier's movies. Uh, we'll talk about Blade Runner 2049 and Sicario, which were both shot digitally. Right. Um, you guys, I think, shot digitally. Yeah. you love. Um, but <laughs> Could to, you imagine if we shot that on, on 35? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But to answer Ivor's question, there, I still feel there is, there is a difference. And when I sit with an audience, and, and the, the best way I could explain it, it's, it's like the difference between listening to Pandora and putting on vinyl. When you're with a bunch of friends and you put on, like, Sam Cooke's live at, you know, the Harlem Square Club, and that's on vinyl, yeah, there's hiss and pop, yeah, it's a different medium, but everybody just kind of leans in and feels it. And there's a warmth. Uh, I don't want to get too techy about right. it. You know, the adjective... Wait, Siren! I... Oh! Take your socks off. Not my pants? So, Craig, we didn't mention this, but <laughs> whenever there's a siren on the show, uh, we play Strip Siren. Oh, nice. And, uh... Oh, all right, yeah. sock is coming off. Ira's going to be taking his sock off. All right, anyway, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> you know so, what adjective I like to use? Uh, yeah. Weight. A, a totally. movie shot on film has more weight. Can you, you appreciate the oh, totally. that? Oh, totally. And word? in fact, I'll, I'll go a little further with that. It, totally. Um, I'm One of the reasons, and I, I hate rationalization excuses, so this is neither, just explanation. It's taken me so long as I very much want to shoot my first feature on film while we can. Mm -hmm. And um, so that means a little more money um, to do it. But... That it's not just watching it that gives it that weight you're talking about, that warmth. Shooting it, the act of making it, when you only have three takes and you're like, guys, we only have enough film to do three takes, everybody on set kind of feels this heightened thing. And when you edit, like I did my, my thesis short, I edited it on film on an old machine. I didn't edit it on computer. Yeah. And you have to think about every cut. And I think when you see uh, movies like 2001 or Eisenstein, like uh, Battleship Potemkin, where they had to think about the editing, or you look at directors that came up, like Scorsese and Spielberg, who had to edit on a movieola and think about the cuts ahead of time, you can see they know how to edit in a way that I think we're losing a little bit, where we can just shoot a bunch of footage from a bunch of different cameras, and it's a different thing. Um, but So that's I, I, I love both mediums, but I do think film still forces you to think a lot and really think about how you're going to do it, how you're going to storyboard it, and it is a different kind of feel. I can appreciate what you're saying. I think when I went to film school, I think our generation was the last generation. Um, and you, I mean, you and I are about the same age, so yeah. it might be the same way, but we actually had to conform our negative by hand. I don't know if you've ever done that, but like we shot on film and then had to actually oh, wow. take the negative, scrape the, the, the negative off and like cement it to the... Uh, to the black leader, like black yeah, opaque yeah. leader and you everything else. You were making else. your own A and B rolls yes. and stuff? Yes. Oh, wow. So by hand. And I'm <laughs> telling you, that is the most mind-blowing, like, uh, you, it, I, they have this this room in, in where I went to college, and you would go in, and this the funk of, like, 40 film nerds would just <laughs> billow out, and it was so unbelievably 
difficult to do. And you just saw people wanting to commit suicide because it was so hard. Well, and, and that's the, I think that's the important thing is that you, you lose something, but you gain something. Like I do love computer editing um, and the ability to try a bunch of th different things and immediately go back and see a different cut. And I think there's tons, and I love with digital too, you can do a lot more performance-based stuff. If mm -hmm. actors need to warm up, you can just keep rolling and they can warm up into it. Um, but the funny thing is, uh, I had an experience where I was cutting my thesis short, and you know it's on rolls, and I was cutting it on what's called a flatbed. Yeah. And uh, was that Steambeck or Steambeck? Yeah, okay. exactly Steambeck. And it spun out, and all this whole roll I've been cutting <laughs> all night, I had it just spun out all over my room, and I had to spend an hour and a half retightening it, re-rolling it, and it is a particular kind of pain. But what I think about is. And again, I don't. Like I said, you you have to. They're all tools, and it is in the end storytelling. And I do believe that. I do. I really like it. The more I think about it, the more. I, if if you're a good storyteller, you're going to figure out the medium, and you're going because you know there was a point where it was silent film, and there were a bunch of people who were like, well, I I'm not going to deal with sound, you know. And then suddenly color came in, and a bunch of people were like, well, no, I'm not going to deal with black and white. And you, you've got to you've got to evolve. You've got to move. But um, I think about like the churches and the cathedrals and craftsmen. And you think about when they had more rudimentary tools, they were spending probably weeks to create something. And you can feel it. Maybe that's what I'm getting at. You can feel the, the effort that went into it. I'm a big, like, I'm a, I believe in a transcendent level of the universe and stuff. So I yeah. want to put that on you guys. But, <laughs> like, I, 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 I so. Uh, the podcast suddenly begets, becomes very yeah. spiritual. Ethereal. I love what you're saying, though. I, but, I love what you're saying. So, but yeah. you feel it. Yeah. So I think, I when, think so. when the audience watches film, Suddenly, they, they just feel this energy and effort, and that's something else that, that I love. But that's me. You know, a, when, sorry, I, when I get out my old Kodak carousel slide projector, which I still have in all these slide trays, I like the smell of it. I like this fan. I like the noise totally. it makes. I'm sure part of it is my memories of childhood and growing up and watching 8mm film with my mom and dad. But just watching these slides, I like the process is just more... What's the word I'm looking for? Tactile. There you go. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and to that, Ira, um, you know, like an, another thing I talk about is, so my bubby, you and I were talking out of the podcast, I'm half Catholic, half Jewish. Uh, my bubby, my Jewish grandmother, made photo albums for all of us. And now you meet a lot of people who have like 5,000 photos on their mm -hmm. phone, but you walk into their house and there's no photo album, nothing on the wall. Right. And th it's different. Um, when you walk into a house and there are photos everywhere, you're like, I am part of a generational thing that's bigger than me. Or you look at a photo album, and so my sister and I picked that up. We make photo albums. And again, I would say it's not good or bad that they each have their own benefits, sure. but I think we do want to hold on to the tactile a little bit. Uh, one of the things that, um, I'm gonna present the counterpoint to this. A couple of years ago when Quentin Tarantino released uh, Hateful Eight, he famously did the 70 millimeter road show where he played it in 70 millimeter all around. And when he did his press screenings, there was a guy who did a, a review of the screening. And it, there, I guess there were two screenings. There was one at, oh, what's the theater down uh, by UCLA? The real nice theater with Westwood the or the Bruin? No, it's... Uh, the Crest? I think it's the Crest. Yeah, the Crest Theater. I think he did one at the Crest. And, um, and then he did another one, maybe at the New Beverly Cinema. Center. So, but anyway, he, he did a, two different screenings, and he said this this guy who wrote this review was at the Crest, and he saw it, and he said 
it sucked. And they were showing it in 70 millimeters. He's like, I'm the biggest film buff. You know, I love the purity of film. And he was watching it. It was like, it just didn't look very good. And there were problems with the projection system and everything. And he was like, this kind of sucks. And then halfway through, they were having so many problems with it that they uh, they junked it. And they switched to, to the DCP <laughs> for the last half, for the, you know, after the intermission. And he said, he said, this pains me to write this. But it looked a lot better. It looked sharper. It looked... It just the story popped off the screen a lot more, and I I think I've I've kind of turned the corner too, and I can't believe I'm saying that because if if you two had known me in 1997, I would have been punching myself in the face to hear me say these words. But I kind of like the DCPs more. There seem to be fewer problems with them. Um, you know, I've just seeing the now I do like the film melt effect, but I mean the fact that I've seen that so many times when you're watching a movie and all of a sudden it just gets caught in the projector and just bakes and there's there's so many hisses and scratches and faded prints and things like that whereas the dcp just looks the same every time well can i can i roll with that yeah oh i think you're bringing up something really important which is you know with with technology um you know, I also saw Hateful Eight at uh, the ArcLight, mm. and they were showing it on film. And the pr- and the print was a bit beat up, and the the bulb that they had there wasn't great. So, because people are not improving the technology, if you're going to show something on old machines and you're not changing out the light bulbs, and it's not, no. it's not, then I did think it was a bummer. And and like I said, we saw Blue Velvet here on DCP and uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me on DCP, and it was great. It was a great experience. Mm-hmm. So. That's why I think it's important where I where I do agree with you completely. And you know, uh, Mad Max Fury Road was yeah. all digital. Yeah. And that was as cinematic and as you can get. So it's not every technology has incredible benefits. But if you, for instance, if you have a great projector and you get Sony's archive Lawrence of Arabia and you sit and it's a good sound system. Nothing will beat that. Nothing will beat it still. Now, what I agree with you on is I think maybe five years, ten years from now. The, the digital technology will get to a point where it'll be maybe even better. But there is still something, if the film technology is optimal, what you're getting at is it's not anymore. Yeah. Well, I, the, other, the other aspect to DCP that I really like is that it in, allows independent filmmakers like us to be able to create a DCP. I mean, making a film print is incredibly expensive once you start conforming the negative and then you've got an intermediate then you got to do a release print i mean there that just becomes incredibly expensive whereas with the dcp i did all of that myself for free and mm. and i mean even just having a company do it they would charge you a thousand two thousand dollars something like that but i did it all for free and just followed the directions and I think when when I did, I made like what one one error. There was one I error. I went back a second time, and it worked. And I sent you a text. I'm in there watching our trailer. It worked. Yeah, and they you nailed it on the second attempt. Yeah, and and I figured out what the problem I know, was. I know. It was you just knew the, what you're doing. The wrong. people who wrote the the instructions online were they were uh, engineers, and they didn't really know how to explain the steps completely. Um, but I, I think there is another aspect to DCP, which is that it the cost prohibitive portion it allows independent filmmakers to be able to get their stuff seen in a theater we never could have shown in absolutely a place like that. absolutely yeah. and i'm not we i'm not even i i kind of agree with you i mean i i love film and i that's one of the reasons why i like coming to see your you know the 35 millimeter secret film club i love that because you get to see these prints in 35 and what a special occasion to see that but there is some really cool stuff i'm just trying to present a counterpoint to dcps which is that there's some really cool stuff being 
done with that and some looks that you can add uh, to the, to the DCP during the you know the color timing process that can make it look like it's got some grain in it and I mean I've seen some of that stuff work really really nicely. Well, you know, someone who I I've, I've loved. Um, no, and and so for me it's funny you're saying that. Did you guys see Sicario? Yeah. Did you, okay. Um, you know, and then we're going to talk about Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Both shot by Roger Deakins. Both shot digitally. I think on the Arri Alexa. Yeah. A digital camera that everyone most people are shooting on now. And uh, or the red, but but I love Aerie and I love the Aerie Alexa and Sicario was my favorite film of that year and there were feelings and looks, you know I, I I've always felt that the really talented people say okay what is this medium, what can it do, mm-hmm. and figure it out and let's figure it out and tell the story through that and I think that Deacons and and, and director Villeneuve. And a few other people are being smart, and they're saying, "Let's figure out what this can do amazingly." And then do that. And then do that. And and I think I think you know, and then tell a great story. And I think that has to always be your your north star in filmmaking, because it otherwise, is the story is the story. Yeah. And what's the technology? Because you know, you think about. I mean, not to get too nerdy, but one of my favorite directors of all time is uh, John Ford. Um, and and or you could even take Alfred Hitchcock. You want to take someone different, but John Ford was making movies um, in the silent era, you know. And you know he saw a lot of his his peers. I think when sound came in, disappear disappear because no they weren't going to deal with it. They didn't want to figure it out. You know, as you guys know, if you're film historians, there was like three years where the camera never moved, right? Because it was in a booth, and everyone was like, ah, it's theater now. All it is is film theater. Well, John Ford and people who stayed who love movies were like, well. Okay, we got sound, and and then you think about people who like Godard or um, you know Scorsese, who are like, well, wait, what can sound and image do? You know, music, but the image is like not what you think it's going to be, and and that's where we are now too. You always have to be like, okay, because I think those principles are always there to be discovered. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I like the sound of a film projector. I like the set. Now, I, I sound I old too. right now. That's I know just because you old. saw so many porno films. <laughs> you can appreciate what I'm saying. Oh, I, I like I, the I, sound of a film projector. I love it too. Yeah, it's, I know you do. I know deep down you do. Yeah. Yeah, getting out that Kodak carousel slide projector, man, hearing that fan, hearing that fan and the smell, tactile. Anyway, go ahead. And slides look amazing, by they the do. way. Yeah. They do. They do. If you're an image maker, there's nothing beats a transparent slide. Yeah. Except for an iPad. <laughs> Stop it. Kodachrome 64. Hmm. <laughs> ASA sixty. All right. Anyway, um, so look, anything. Well, let's talk about you. Uh, now, you said that you're working on your first feature film. Do you care to talk about it at all, or is well, that something that uh, you you want to hold off talking about? Probably hold off a little bit, uh, other than to say, um, <laughs> for anybody who knows me, they'll get a big because I mean, it's like I've been trying to make a feature in one form or another uh, for like fifteen years, mm. and so. I, I've just got to make it happen, and I've got to figure it out. And and if we do another podcast or I start a podcast, you guys come on, I would love to talk about it. But suffice it to say, I was trying to make a feature at the beginning of the year. Mm. Um, of then, this year? Of this year, yep. And then uh, didn't have enough money, an investor fell through, a very typical kind of story. And it's happened to me before. And you've got that, like, you know, fool me once, whatever, fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. And so then uh, my wife and I were having, my wife had the baby uh, in August. Uh, and, you know, you get very real there, too. You're like, my wife and kid can't be eating peanut butter while I'm, you know, trying to figure out my movies. So I needed oh, to. Oh, they can't? No. Oh, shit. Well, okay. I'm just 
Checking with producer Joey. I just want to make sure. Okay, cool. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so I was doing the peanut butter diet thing. All right. Uh, no, I did it for ten years uh, in my twenties. It was great, and I'd like watch movies and watch like all of Ozu's movies and eat yeah. peanut butter. I was totally happy. Um, but so anyway, wanted to take care of my family. I'm now moving back now that the work and the money thing is kind of stabilized because I am determined, come hell or high water, to make a feature. Yeah. And I'm moving back to it, and I actually ended up. You know that weird thing where you would never have asked for something to happen, yeah. but it causes something? I rewrote the script, and I wrote another script, and sort of a bunch of things came out of the failure of the first attempt. So I'm hoping that's, that maybe... Like a phoenix from the ashes. There you go, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. I think one of the one of the motivators for our film, I, I don't think we've really... I guess I've talked about this a no, little bit. No, I just bit. want to ask our guests, are you looking for a producing partner? Because <laughs> I, I can ditch this guy just like that. You know what I mean? No. Because I, I can be ditched just like that. <laughs> uh, it, one of the things that happened to me is I went to uh, Sundance a f- number of years ago, and I saw a friend of mine who had a film in Sundance, and it wasn't very good. And I, but he's a great guy. I love him, and he's he was really nice and gracious with his time. And and I, he was g- getting into like he had several films that he was doing, and one was in Berlin, one was in Sundance, and he was all over South by Southwest, and I was like. Dude, this guy's getting shit everywhere. And then I was going to grad school at the time, and I'd be reading these film books, and his name started popping up in the film books. And I'm going, ooh, like that feeling. And it was jealousy. And and I was like, you know, this is really uncomfortable. And why am I, I'm kind of hating on this guy. And he hasn't done anything to me. He's done, he's followed his dream. He right. did a, what he set out to do. And having some success. Yes. Yeah. And I realized I'm jealous because I'm not doing anything. Yeah. And I had kept waiting for... I want. I was a film purist. I was like, I got to shoot on thirty-five. I got to find a way. And I was even stockpiling old thirty-five millimeter stock when I would work on a film shoot, and I would get all this stock and keep my fridge. And then finally, I was like, This is never going to happen this way. It's just I'm, I don't have access to a camera. I had meetings with Panavision, and they had cut me deals and stuff like that, trying right. to make it happen. And I was just like, This is. It's going to be impractical to actually make make it work like this. And even if it does work, there's so many other roadblocks down the line. I said. Just, let's fucking shoot something. Let's let's shoot something. Because this guy is not shooting on film. He's shooting on... He started out, his first feature was like on a little handheld, you know, shitty camera. Right, right. But his story started to come out. And I realized, you know what? You're so worried about the medium, Robert, that the the story is is not being told at all. And so I think that that was one of the, the big turning points in my decision to start saying, I, we gotta, I got to embrace digital. And... Once I started doing that, it, it was easier to start making stuff and just start doing things and not have to worry about the, the medium. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to provide like a... You're saying once you sold out, you were not... Yes. Okay. Once I no, sold no. out. But listen, which, I mean, to sell out versus what? To, to hold pure and never yeah, say anything? I, yeah. Once, I, once you made a smart choice. Yeah, so I was about to say... Instead. Yeah, and I, you know, again, and, and I love these conversations. I don't mean to keep stirring them to the existential, but I, the, you know, you do have to existentially, and I'm going to start to be existential. Uh, existentially, ask yourself: Are you a maker, or are you a talker? Yeah. And and I don't mean that negatively to everyone who's trying, but if you're a maker, you've got to make. And and there's this thing too about. You know, I think the smart people, and I, you know, I can see this now, <laughs> having tried for so many years, they're very smart people who are like, well, wait, this is my first thing. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get 10,000, 15,000 together, and I'm going to make something. 
it is silly of me to think someone's going to give me a million dollars. No one knows me. The world doesn't owe me anything. And then maybe if I make something good at 15, um, the next thing will be 50. And then the next thing, I have a buddy actually, Greg Bishop. I'll give him a shout out from USC. He made his first film, uh, The Other Side, which is great. It's like one of these El Mariachi, um, he made it for 10,000 in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a great movie, really fun, high concept about a guy who gets out of hell and then the, like, the guards like come to try to get him. And um, it was totally fun. He made it for, I think, like 10 grand. And then someone gave him, uh, I think, like 200 grand to make a zombie movie written by my friend Joe Ballerini, who's incredibly talented writer and and just actually wrote the My Little Pony movie and wrote a book and and uh, they it's made a, that's that. a bit of a stretch between those two movies right it is, it is, but Joe's very Joe can do anything yeah Joe's super like Joe yeah Joe we, we all went to USC and everyone knew that Joe and Greg were gonna were gonna pop um, and then um, they gave him two hundred and then he just made another movie a horror movie called Siren. Uh, and he did a, a bit in Rec 3, those movies where it's all found footage. Yeah. And, and you know, I think Greg, who really could be, and I think is in the process of becoming, just this great action director, he could have been like, I'm not going to make my first film until someone gives me $50 million. And he'd still be, you know, at a coffee shop somewhere. Right. Talk. 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 But Greg made. Right. And, 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 and there's like an, um, a Japanese and a Chinese thing that I, where it's, it's like almost a Zen thing. Yeah. Which is... Are you somebody who would rather make but maybe be anonymous? Or are you somebody who you want to be known but not make? Yeah. And I do think the better thing is to make and be anonymous. So you've got to embrace that at some point. Yeah. I like you. <laughs> See, I this like is why... I, I like how this guy... I, I didn't even have very many... I, I think I had like a conversation and a half with Craig. And I was like, we need you to moderate our Q&A. Yeah. Because, uh, Craig, you got something to say, buddy. Oh, thank you. I like listening to this guy. All right. Well, on that note, let's talk Email. about emails. Email. You want to do an email? Yeah, oh, you want to uh, do an email? Let me explain this to you, Greg. Robert feigns impatience when I have a, a few ditties. It's he not fe- It's feigning. But deep down, he kind of likes it when I do this. If I may, Please. a ditty. Please, Ira. Robert and Ira have nothing to fear. It's from our listeners we want to hear. Help us make our podcast better. We look forward to reading your letter. Oh, brother. All right. So, uh... <laughs> This listener wrote in and says, "Call me sentimental." Now, last week we we should tell him. Yeah, last week we, we reviewed American Made, the new Tom Cruise movie. And what do you guys think? Can you give me? I haven't seen it in a sentence. You'll have to listen to the podcast. Correct? No, it's. Uh, I liked it. We liked it a lot. Yeah, um, a lot. Yes, I, my friend liked it a lot. I think. Yeah. I think it's one of these things. Uh, I had talked to another friend, and and she said, "Yeah, despite your review, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go see a Tom Cruise movie. I just have no interest in that." And I can understand that. If, if that's not your cup of tea, if you look at the poster and you say, I have no interest in that, you will not like this movie. But if you look at that poster and you go, eh, I might check that out, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. So I think you you get what you pay for. Uh, but this listener wrote in and says, hi guys, call me sentimental, no argument there, but I like Jerry Maguire. So we were talking about our top Neither five Tom Cruise movies. Neither of us had Jerry Maguire in our top five. Yeah. Well, I, have and, a, I have a Jerry Maguire story about I ha- says I agree with Ira about risky business. That uh, was the movie that brought Tom to our awareness and was daring and unique in its time. What was your Jerry Maguire story? Oh, it, it just—I mean, it's it cheesy. <laughs> um, so when I lived in Prague when I was nineteen, because I discovered it was actually cheaper for me to get a, a semester of college credit in uh-huh. Prague than at USC. I actually could live in Prague and I saved $2,000. <laughs> so I was like, well, why not? So when I was over there, I met a friend who's a lifelong friend, actually, uh, and he's in the military, lifelong military, named Nate Ferguson. He and I had our sons the same year. 
And he, he and I met each other. We're eating in the cafeteria in uh, Learning Czech in a little town called Pojabrati. And Nate and I are very different because uh, Nate was going to go into the military and I'm this like L.A. movie dude. And Nate's like, oh, you're in the movies. Have you seen Jerry Maguire? And he'd seen it like four times. And he's like, you got to see it. it it's it's going to change your life. So I was like, okay. So I went to go see it and I do like Cameron Crowe. And I think I saw it four times in the Prague cinema. And I even stole a poster that I put up in my thing. And then I saw it years later. And it was funny. I saw it a little differently. I see things in it that don't quite work that I didn't see. But it was a movie when I saw it that I, I, I love the message. And I love Cameron Crowe. And it was just a movie I enjoyed. There was a... Who, who was telling us about the Jerry Maguire on VHS? Did you hear about this? No. There's a collection collective group that is going around trying to collect all of the vhs <laughs> copies of jerry Maguire, and they even have a whole video rental store that only rents out jerry Maguire. <laughs> and Why? producer joey we pulled this up to see if i'm making this up or not but it's it basically um jerry Maguire got released at the time at the last little peak of vhs releases and they did a shitload of them and it turns out that Jerry Maguire was the most printed VHS movie ever. ever. And so they're, what's it called? Uh, it's called The Jerry Maguire Pyramid Project. Oh, that's right. They're making a giant pyramid. So over the, over the last seven years, Everything is Terrible has amassed the world's largest collection of Jerry Maguire VHS tapes. This absurd uh, piece of long-form performance art has been achieved solely through fan donations with a current total of over 15,000 once-beloved videotapes. There have only been three public viewings of the full collection. So yeah, they're basically like they have this huge amassed wealth of Jerry Maguire VHS tapes. Wow, that's funny. So with our, with our top five yeah. for Tom Cruise movies, we often overlap, Robert and I. But I we did for the lower ones. But for number one, I remember you gave me a look when I said Risky Business, and I gave you a look when you said Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, Eyes Wide so, Shut's is best. Well, let's move down. on to the let's move on, please, to the next uh, segment. Ira hated Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> no, that's because uh, he's a pervert and he doesn't like the way Kubrick's a pervert. Kubrick was ahead of us again. Yeah. Eyes Wide Shut is going to be viewed as one of the masterpieces. Oh, telling you, of I'm telling you, that's yeah. exactly what I said. He didn't even do anything in this orgy. All he did was walk around. He didn't even participate. That's the what point. Was the big, aha! The mask on the pillow. So what? Can I can I tell please, you how it rocked my world? Please. That that year, I think produced two great masterpieces that sometimes I think get overlooked. Uh, Thin Red Line, which is actually yes. my favorite Terry, yes. Terry Malick yes. movie. I think that's the best thing he ever did. Dude, you and I can geek out on there film, we go. totally. Yeah, no, Thin Red Line, I think yeah. the best Terry Malick movie. And uh, Eyes Wide Shut, it's not my favorite Kubrick. Uh, I don't even think, you know, my I think Strange Love in 2001 or In Shining, probably my top top. But I have very rarely, if ever, seen a movie that so got male sexuality, which was that in the first half of the film, Cruz thinks he's the center of everyone's universe. And his wife, of course, pierces that. She's like, hey, I like to fuck too. Oh, see, I dropped an F-bomb. There you guys go. And so Nicole, you know, she's like, hey, buddy, guess what? I'd like to fuck. I could fuck. But we're married. But don't think that I don't have a life of my own. And then Cruz is a guy and he can't deal with it because guys can't deal with that. And he goes out and everything that happens in the first half of that movie is how he sees it. The prostitute will like sleep with him for free. He's gonna get invited to an orgy. Like the woman at her dad's deathbed wants to sleep with him. It's how the guy wants to see the world. Then the second half of the movie is how the world is. 
prostitute doesn't really care about him. Orgy had nothing to do with him. The world doesn't revolve around him. And he has to learn he's not the center of his wife's sexual universe. And he has to go back and be like, you know what? And I, and I love to, we get a whole conversation about. I thought it was a misguided mess. Maybe did a bad, bad thing. Okay, sorry. It's my this is exactly what I you said it. last I know, week. I know, I know, I know. Word for word. Yeah. You even did your mod sing it. That song fucking yeah. rocks. It's Chris Isaac's, <laughs> like his best song. I just made it rock right now. <laughs> Okay, yeah, but, I, but I respect. Rock I, respect I respect. A lot of people. I mean, Ira, you're in the majority view. I know I that. I yeah. know everyone feels yeah. it's a disaster. I was going to say it's it. a misguided film, but okay. I, yeah, no, I, I was going to. I had a conversation with a, a pretty high up um, industry person, or remain unnamed, who who said that they felt that was why Kubrick died, was that he he had made his first turkey. Nah. He died of embarrassment. No, and he should. No, well, he I hadn't even been. He died like two months before it came out. I totally. Did. I think Eyes Wide Shut is one of his better films, and it, I love it. And I've seen it four times. Now, Lolita. Joey, Let's Joey, talk about Lolita. That's all that's Hey, great. producer Joey, I mentioned before that there's an article that does a great analysis, and it's a class structural breakdown of Eyes Wide Shut. Can you see if you can't find that? All right, thanks. Okay, well, okay. let's move on in the meantime, shall we? <laughs> okay. This podcast right, Let's talk fun. about movies that we saw this week. Oh, is that what you want to do? I okay. think so. Now, wait a minute. We're, we're going to have him read something, right? Oh, yeah, as long as I don't have to do is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, Craig, we have a poem we'd like for you to read. Oh. With feeling. Okay. And on the sheet, it's got the heading, Week in Review. Okay. I'm not... Okay. With feeling, Craig. Right. Put, put your acting skills to, you, to work here. All right. Other movies we've seen during the last seven days. Some are stinkers. Some we want to praise. Some are old. Some are new. We now present the week in review. It's great. We got the motorcycles in the background. That was beautiful. Yeah. It's like Easy Rider happening in your background. Okay. So what on, movies did you guys film, see? not on DCP. Yes. On, right, you know, right, right. For sure. Where we are. Right. Fuck okay. DCP. Yeah. <laughs> I like how we've opened up the F-bomb floodgate now. <laughs> oh, were we not using it before? No. It's kind of hard to just throw in a couple of fucks in the middle of like talking about technical specs of, did you use a fucking Steenbeck or a fucking Moviola there, bro? Totally. Uh, what movies did you guys see? Fuck you. That's a good movie. I like that movie. <laughs> now go first. You go up to Scorsese movie. That's great. What about you? Did you see any movies this week, Craig? Well, I did, and it's funny. I think it'll weave into something. Um, so I have a six-week-old child, like I've said, and mm-hmm. the, the amount of movies you see, but I'm still making it happen. It, and the funny thing is uh, my wife goes out with her friends once a week, and that's and I've got Filmstruck, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend to anybody, that app on Roku. So my son and I, uh, while he slept and I fed him, we watched Zatoichi in the Chest of Gold. I love the Zatoichi movies from the 60s. And uh, I will talk about it with sci-fi, but I'm watching uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender's World on a Wire. Fassbender's one of my favorite directors of all mm-hmm. time. And this movie, I can't believe it slipped through the cracks for me. We'll talk about it. It's one of my now favorite sci-fis. Um, so there you go. And then Blade Runner 2049. So okay. All right. What about you, Ira? What did you see this week? I have two films I'd like to mention. One of them happens to be 30 Love. Oh, we saw that at the theater. It? Not here because it was a week and a half ago when we had the premiere at this theater. However, a few blocks away at the Los Feliz 3, I saw it a few nights ago. More than once, actually. I went back multiple times, saw the movie again. I just want to that say... movie's even dog though, shit. Even though it said Robert, who you know, co-wrote it, produced it, directed it, and starred in it. And I want to say that even though its theatrical release is over, it's currently playing on Amazon Prime. 
And are you uh, getting a plug in there? I am. I, love I it. am. I know Amazon Prime, and for those of you who subscribe to that, it's free. Can I and, give a, can I give a shout out to your movie, please, yes, real quickly? Please. Um, the and I hope I hope that I wouldn't do this if I didn't feel this. That's really key. I heard you guys talking about being honest, and I think the thing you owe people artistically is to be honest. Um, I think it's hard, but I think you can be honest and considerate. I was I was very impressed, and I think folks should see Thirty Love with the tonal choice you made. And I've been thinking about it since you did it because I think the character you play, Robert, um, is very anti-heroic. Yeah. But, but, but he's very real, and and there, I just know many people like that. And there's anti-heroic things in all of us that we don't like to really look in the eye. Right. And and I kept thinking like that movie really looked the anti-heroic element we all have, and made that front and center. And I thought that was very. Uh, just daring, and I really appreciate it. I wanted to give you guys kudos. Both Thanks, of you man. the writers. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank I think, you for saying that. I think that's something that we tried to do. We talked about anti-heroes, but I think we both are, were trying to... There's a something we haven't talked about very much on any of the podcasts or anything is the quote, quotation. quotation at the end. In the credits of the film, we, we pulled a little William Goldman snippet from his book, Which Lie Did I Tell? And he wrote a really nice little paragraph where he talks about the difference between Hollywood film and independent film. And he says, you know, Hollywood film tells us stories that we already know. It tells us, it reflects something back about us. It, it tells us basically a, a lie that we want to believe. But independent films should unsettle. And that was the last little bit. It says like independent films are meant to show us things that we don't like and that makes us feel uncomfortable. And he, he literally says independent films unsettle. And I think we really took that to heart. We yeah. saw that as we were writing. We were like, let's unsettle. And how do you unsettle truly? Not just showing Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver. And that is unsettling. But he almost has very few redeemable qualities other than at the end murdering the bad guys. Do you know what I mean? But I think we tried to make the character in 30 Love make a couple jokes. Make him like actually have some laughs but still be... A really kind of shitty person. Well, but but it's funny you brought up Bickle because we we did Taxi Driver. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys were here for that, but mm-hmm. we, we did Taxi Driver and um, I'm 35, and you know I think that's a great movie. Yeah. Um, and you know Bickle is very empathetic because he's so lonely. Right. And he he doesn't know how to engage. And you know there's that heartbreaking scene where he takes Sybil Shepherd to a porno movie. Right. And it's like he doesn't even get that that is just horrible. It is like yeah, like what, why? What, 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 you mean I've been doing it wrong all along? Well, you got Sybil Shepherd. He's been using taxi drivers as model for date night. <laughs> Every time someone wants to run away, yeah. Look, De Niro did it with Shepherd. Uh, the but, but but he is, but but what makes him? He is anti-heroic, but we we feel for him because he has a loneliness that he's trying to overcome. And I'd say in your movie, in Thirty Love. You know, your character has dealt with a real iniquity of the world. He's lost his wife, and he's unmoored, mm-hmm. and he's trying to figure it out. And, you know, n- very few of us are really highly morally virtuous folks. And most of us probably make a lot of mistakes when we deal with grief and do things we wish we hadn't done and come unglued and come undone, don't know how to deal with those realities. And, and I think your character, we're all sitting there not in judgment because we're like, you know, what would I do? You know, where would I marshal my energies? So yeah, I just thought it was a very fascinating film. As a spectator, I judge that character. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this guy's fucked up. Uh, but I, I thank you for saying that. I really appreciate no, that. Thank you. Thank you. See, it would have been really easy for him to sit back and just be like, yeah, 30 love. There you go. But that was really nice of you, Craig. 
Yeah, but you did. I want, like I said, I hope, I hope I wouldn't say something if I didn't feel. But I did feel. I was watching your movie, and it was. Just, I was like, wow, these are. Again, we could. This is a whole other podcast. But but a lot of people are, will get notes, you know, when they make a movie, and they'll be like, oh, he's unlikable. You've got to make him likable or her likable. Or I don't get what this ending is. You, you know, like again, I, I, we keep coming back to Kubrick. We're showing Shining tonight. But could you? You have to imagine the talent and the genius of Kubrick when he made 2001. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. It's an amazing story. Um, he made 2001. They, they premiered it. And all of the studio heads of MGM cornered him in his hotel room. You probably heard this. Yeah. And said, we're going to have to recut it. We're going to have to take out that Stargate sequence, yada, yeah. yada, yada. And Kubrick was refusing, refusing. For 14 hours, they were like, we're going to pull it. We won't exhibit it. And his wife, Christiane, called him and said, they're lining up around the block. And Kubrick was right and they were wrong. But imagine trying to make a 2001 now yeah, and right. being like, okay, I'm going to open a million years ago. <laughs> then we're going to have a, a computer that's more human than any of the humans. Then we're going to have a 40-minute ending sequence you're going to have to figure out. If you can figure if it out. Can... <laughs> Just take a lot of drugs. All right, uh, Ira, what other movies did you see this week? Also, I'm not sure how 2001 would play today for the the length of the scenes, the operatic yeah. pacing of the yeah. scenes. Because of the MTV generation, we are used to the rapid fires now. I don't know how it would play if it was released today uh, for the I, first time. I, I thought you disagree with me I on that. I don't subscribe to MTV we, generation thinking. I know. I know. We've talked about this before. Because I think, I mean, I'm of the MTV generation. I grew up on MTV. You're an anomaly. Mm, you I, are. But I, 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 think, I think when you go back into... The 1950s, people had short attention spans then, too. And and they would not have been attracted to 2001. The people who were attracted to 2001 would show up and watch it over and over and over again. What do you think? Would it, would it work with today's young I, audience? I do. I like, like when we get a 70 millimeter projector, because um, we just have a 35 now, and, and you really want to show like Lawrence and, and on uh, 2001 on 70, um, <clears throat> I bet you will sell out. Now, I, I think you get into a, a conversation there about... It's almost that, like, I'm so grateful to my wife, um, Martha, because when Marta chooses the movies, um, she'll choose Minions or Despicable Me Too or um, How to Be Single, that Dakota, the the movie that was... And because my wife was born during the Civil War in El Salvador, and she tells me, like, one of her earliest memories is hiding under the bed while the bombs are dropping. And so for her... Shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's... I mean, I respect my wife 500%. Um and uh, but the so when she sees a movie, she just wants to laugh. She loves Inside Out. She loves Pixar. She loves the you know, and I think two thousand one is a different kind of movie. So I guess going to what you were saying, Ira, I think there will always be it will always be eternally that there are some people who are up for a crazy unorthodox experience, and other people who when they go they they want to have uh, a fun heartwarming thing, and both things are fine. What are the movies that we say? So in addition, well said. In addition to Thirty Love, did I have to mention that it's on Amazon Prime? I'm not sure if I said and that. Google or not. And Google Play. And Google Play. And I also saw another 20 minutes of a movie called Zipper. Just another 20 minutes. And I spoke about oh it very gosh. briefly last week. And it's it's a high-powered um, uh, politician who's obsessed with high-end call girls. Mm. And so we have this conflict. And Richard Dreyfuss actually has a small part. It's not a good film. I watched another 20 minutes. I'll probably watch another 20 minutes when I get home tonight. Go. (laughs) I watched a movie called Permanent. And uh, regular listeners to this podcast will hear a rare thing for me to say. 
This was not a good movie. Um, I, I love movies. I love uh, even the shitty movies. This one was really hard. Robert to watch. Robert has a reputation. He always talks about the good in all films. Oh, we wow. can find positive elements to be found. It was really tough. Now, now suggest- I will tell you because I I always try to do that. Like even in movies that I can't stand, what was good about it? And there were some really cool shots. Um, there was some interesting editing in moments, but there was some stuff that was done. Uh, there was audio that was out of sync. Huh. And I mean, this is I, I saw it on Amazon, so they'd had submitted it looked like they didn't even watch the film before they output it or something and, and scenes that would re- repeat like lines that would repeat and you could kind of tell this was an accident it was just not looked over and th- there was some sort what of audio script what was the i was asked to watch it mm. and uh and it presented a problem because they how do you write i mean kind of what you were saying before how do you write a review for something that wasn't good and um, and and not just be cruel. It's hard. It's hard to write some of that stuff and and not just you know trash somebody. They put some work into it, and I I always respect that. And if you've made a movie, you know. Yeah, and I can appreciate. But at the same time, I'm looking at it going. The, the acting is really tough here, and the writing is awful. Everyone's screaming all their lines, so it was not a good movie. Uh, don't watch it. That was called Permanent. But there you go. So I, I will I will say when I don't like a movie. Yeah, you will. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to talk about people who died this week, right? Ah, we are. Yes, well, we let's are. Let's do that. Uh, dead corner. And now the moment we have to say. Wait, did we go over your movies? We did. We did it. We did. I was just going to say, did we? You, yeah, you guys got me. That threw me off yeah. when you first said. No, no yeah. you know, I'll add one thing. What did you see this oh, week the, other we, than you guys? Blade um, Runner. You asked me, and I said it, but I'll, I'll add this part. I love, you know, like when people ask me my favorite directors, I often talk about, and, and this is true, this is not, you know, whatever. My, I have like a trinity. This is the Catholicism, it's all trinity. I've got, I love John Ford, Jean Renoir, Akira Kurosawa. Uh-huh. Probably my three favorites. But I also love Don Siegel and uh, this uh, Japanese director named Kenji Mizumi, who are more like workman directors who flew under the radar until people were like, these these guys are really talented. And Kenji Mizumi directed a bunch of these Zatoichi movies. Have you guys seen any of this? No. So it's, it was like Japan's... I've heard of them, but I, I have not seen them. So just in real quickly, it's like Japan's James Bond, kind of, except it takes place in the 19th century. He's a masseur. He's blind, but he is like an effing badass with the sword. And he goes around helping orphans, and, and, and there's always this carnage and fights. And he's Yakuza. He's a gangster, mm. but he's got a heart of gold. It's like this great formula. And chest of gold, basically the thing is these, these poor farmers, you know, the, the governor is corrupt, and he makes them pay like a million dollars, and they pay it. And then the governor himself steals the million dollars and says, you haven't paid me, right? And it's like such good writing because you're like, oh, snap. Zatoichi, he got to get some revenge for these people, right? Right. And uh, so, but these movies, because they 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 do all these great things with zooms and slow motion, and they're, the opening credit sequence is like was shot on a black soundstage, which just spotlights with him killing people, and it's like why has cho- it got to be a black soundstage, Craig? Can't can it just be an African American soundstage? You know what, dude? It's called low key lighting <laughs> oh, because then oh, the, oh, the, the oh. light pops. Where's your mind going? Low key, I yeah. see what you're saying. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking in code, son. <laughs> Black, was, black is now low-key. I got you. No, I understand. It was great. Zatoichi in the chest of gold. Low-key lives matter. Although, Ken, <laughs> <laughs> although, right. although Kenji Mizumi did not direct that one. 
Ira, who died this week? Oh. <laughs> Low-key lives matter. And now the moment we have to say the following people passed away. Gotta tell you, unfortunately we must, the following people have turned to dust. Okay. And let me mention, we have one, one person who's will be a bit of a shock for you, I think. It happened literally two hours ago on the way over here. I'll save that for last. And the following people did pass away within the last five or six days. Lionel Ames, 94, American actor, who was in Thundering Jets, Jets Why Must I Die, and Soul Hustler. I don't know those. Do you know I, those? Did you I, know? I, I looked into these. These are old films. This was like 60s stuff. Okay. Uh, also, American International, AIP oh, yeah. films. They Great were title, exploitive. Soul Hustler. I know. They're explo- exploitation movies. Jerry Burkhart, 71 American actor, The Best Little Horror House in Texas, and a movie called Crazy For You. William Tepper, 69 American actor, who's in Bachelor Party. Oh, no. Yeah. Do you know who that is? Do, do you I, know? I know the name. Uh, I, I, because I've, I've seen Bachelor Party so many times. And Breathless, and also he was in Drive, he said. Huh. Thomas Dara, 80, 64, American actor, was in Mystic River in The Pink Panther 2. We also lost uh, 81-year-old Ruth Escobar, Portuguese-Brazilian actress, who was in a film called The Jew. Now, I never heard of this film. I Googled it, and what came up? A Pictures of, of you! Even <laughs> <laughs> I've been hanging out way too really, much, my friend. This is getting scary. This is getting scary. <laughs> Um, Anne, Anne Wyzemeski, 70, French actress, who was in um, All Fine Promises. <laughs> well, wow, you nailed that pronunciation. Can I, you do that again? I'm working on it. No, I'm not going to Say it again. again. I was saying that one time. You're not I was gonna, so impressed. I've worked on this. Say it's it important. again. The, no, I'm not going to say it again. I nailed it the first time because if I do it a second time, I'll screw it up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, thank you. I really worked on this because these people deserve to hear their names. Well, they're not going to hear it, but they're, it should be said properly. Uh, also, Ralphie May and Robert, I know. It's Ralph, Ralphie. It's May. not Ralphie? No, I'm fucking with you. No, fucking he's fucking with me. <laughs> and I want to tell you that, A, I didn't know he'd done film. And yeah. I have his whole filmography here. 45-year-old American comedian of a heart attack. Uh, Robert, you know, he was very large. Yeah, he's a big dude. Quite, quite obese. And he was quite a few films I never heard of. Up in The movie Unruly was in 2000. A lot of more stand-up movies. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, the best of comics unleashed with Byron Atwell and stuff like that. We missed a very a lost, a very prominent film critic, Judy Stone, ninety-three years old, American film critic and author. She wrote for the New York Times, the she LA Times. She was big Times, for the New York so Times, wasn't she? Yes, and um, I also want to say that her brother, oh, no. uh, Judy Stone, her brother was I. F. Stone. And I don't know if you're familiar with I.F. Stone, a very well-known journalist in his time, investigative reporting. Huh. I.F. Stone was the brother. And also, um, she wrote, again, New York Times, L.A. Times, and wrote quite a few books on film. Also, we'd lost, and I didn't include a lot of Indian film directors because I have trouble pronouncing their names. So funny. I know. <laughs> so, Kundan Shah, 69 hey, years old. Hey, nice. And, and we did lose also... Kirk Douglas. I just, I saw that. I gasped. That he just I heard passed. you gasp. I heard you gasp. Can I tell a Kirk please, Douglas story? Please, please. Um, yeah. Um, I had no idea. That, so for the listeners, Ira handed us um, the the papers, and uh, Kirk Douglas is on page two. So for the whole of this podcast, I was looking at Anne um, who I just wanted to say, Alhazard Balthazar is my favorite um, Brisson. A, a good pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> Um, but but uh, if anyone hasn't seen that, it's one of the great movies, and it, it follows a donkey who gets passed uh, through all these different owners. And Ira, you saw a porn like that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was the porn version of Al Hazard Balthazar. Yeah. 
I'm sure there's a whole wing of art house porn. But but um, it, it, I wish I could do better justice to it. But she plays a girl who gets in with the wrong guys and has like an abusive boyfriend. And again, the porn was a lot like that. <laughs> there's there's a beautiful shot of her in a house, and it's just her back, and uh, it's just a beautiful film. Um, really, again, it's funny. It's it's very much about. It becomes a spiritual metaphor because the donkey just kind of abides. He, he goes and he watches all these people suffer, is the movie. And he sees all these people and they don't really realize he's seeing them all suffer. And then, see, I can't even talk about it without crying. But, but it's a beautiful movie. See, it, the thing I wanted to say about Kirk Douglas was, I, you know how you regret those things if you're a movie? Like, I will never make a movie with Peter Sellers is something mm. I really hits me. Unless I get big immediately, I may not get to work with Michael Caine. And that really bums me out. And I, I love that era of Hollywood. And I wanted to meet Jimmy Stewart. He's my favorite actor. And he passed away when I was a kid, and I, I couldn't meet him. So anyway, when I was in my 20s, um, we lucked out. We have a family friend who works with um, the Motion Picture Fund, and we got to go to this event where like it seemed like everyone was there. And I looked, and sitting at a table is Kirk Douglas, um, John Frankenheimer, and Janet Lee, And they're all like talking. And uh, my girlfriend, my sister were there, and I just went up to Kirk Douglas because like this will never happen again. And I was like, Mr. Douglas, I just and he stood up, and at that point he must have been ninety already. He stood up and he shook my hand, and, and I was like, slapped you across the face. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, get me a drink. Um, he uh, it, and I said, I just want to thank you coming back to Kubrick. For, and the only thing I could think was for making Paths of, Paths Glory, of Glory, which I'm so, and I was like, thank you so much for making Paths. Well, how come of Glory. you didn't say Spartacus? Because he mistreated Kubrick on yeah. Spartacus. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I like that he gave Kubrick his and, and by the way, Kirk Douglas, I mean Bad and the Beautiful, Lust for Life, um, the great Jacques Turnier movie out of the past. I mean Kirk Douglas in his own right is amazing, but he, he was I, he was a gentleman. I gotta tell you, there there are people who, you know, would be like, get the F out of my face. You know, like I'm too many people come up to me. He stood up, he shook my hand, and he said thank you and like touched his heart. And then I took it too far. I was like, I was calling my girlfriend and sister over to shake his hand. And they were like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's enough. Yeah, no, you've yeah. bothered this man enough. <laughs> I shook his That's hand. That's funny. Wow. Nicely done. Wow. wow. He's dead now, anyway. Yeah, um, also, I want to say, we also, in the past, we've broadened this term of dead corner to include perhaps actors who've made bad choices or no, they're no longer <laughs> acting. No. Yeah, like and Sean Connery. with Sean Connery. And, uh, and I said to you earlier today, well, it, Sean Connery is no longer acting, not because of bad movie choices, but because he got fat and he's bald. And you said, well, then he kind of committed suicide, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, career suicide. <laughs> he retired. So he belongs in the dead corner. Yeah. Sean Connery, for all intents and purposes, is dead to me. And that's the dead corner. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah let's do Blade this. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. All right. Blade Runner 2049 is... Uh, Robert, it, you do a good job <clears throat> of talking us through it in broad strokes. All right. It centers around a bunch of ponies who are... <laughs> oh, wait. That was my little pony. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 picks up right where Blade Runner... No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's several years after Blade Runner uh, leaves off. And we're now focusing no longer on Harrison Ford's character, Deckard. Uh, instead, we're focusing on Ryan Gosling's character, who is a new Blade Runner, I guess a younger Blade Runner, who's out to pull in all the replicants and, uh, and, and kill them. Uh, so along the way, Ryan Gosling's character, what's this character's name? Kay. 
K. That's right. Or Joe. Joe. Right. So yeah. there's some. It, it, he all, he gets a name throughout the movie. He's, he's a serial number beginning with K, and then they start to name him Joe, and uh, he starts to realize his own mortality as the movie com- progresses and we find out that some of these replicants have been able to actually create babies they've actually impregnated each other so this further complicates the line between what is human and what is uh what is a, a replicant robot right and so android android thank you <laughs> so k slash joe has to try to evade capture from the uh, it's no longer the Tyrell Corporation. It's now kind it's of, Jared Leto's corporation, right? And he's got Leander something. Yeah, and they're trying to capture him, and uh, so he has to go out. He he finds Deckard, and together they kind of try to fight the corporation. That's basically the the nuts and bolts of it, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I know I'm speaking Those in broad terms. Very this is a, broad strokes. This is a three hour movie, so uh, you know I'm, I'm going to be leaving out some stuff. All right, well, what do we think about the movie? Let's bring in our guest. Your take. Uh, you know, I'm actually struggling with it, and, and I want to be succinct, but I mean, I really liked it. Um, let me start with that. Let me just leave with what's important. Um, Great. Good show, guys. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I really liked it. I thought, just like the original one, it created a world. And I think we can talk about this, but Blade Runner is one of those anomalies where I actually think the storytelling... And Blade Runner's not that great, the original one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but but the the it creates a dream you want to live in. Yeah. And that is something cinematic. It's so visual. Totally. And you go and you live in that dream, and you kind of just live with, with Deckard and Sean Young in this world. And I think it's more a movie about what mood. is that world like and mood and music and, and and it's like a tone poem or a jazz piece. And it, and it's beautiful. I love Blade Runner. Um, this movie, um, I thought, did the same thing in that it created a world that was fascinating. I thought the sequences uh, were really well directed. I think Denis Villeneuve is is really shaping up. I mean, he's directing like a movie a year, and mm-hmm. they're all interesting. Um, like I said, I love Sicario. Um, that being said, I thought this movie also had story problems, like the first one. Um, I, I was a little confused. I thought it was convoluted. And I, I don't know how much it actually adds up to. And I've been thinking the last few days. Um, I did really like it. I do think it's incredibly well made. I think people should go see it. I think it's one of the better movies of the year. I'll probably put it on my top ten list. And yet, I think I still prefer the original Blade Runner because somehow the mood of the original one is complete. Um, but I still thought this was a very good movie. And there's a lot to talk about. What do you hmm. guys think? All right. What do you think, Ira? I'm going to be the odd man out here with an extreme reaction, and it's a rather strong reaction. I thought it was long and laborious. Any filmmaker who makes a movie that's two hours and 45 minutes is irresponsible. Irresponsible, and that speaks not about the movie, but about the filmmaker, the huge ego that would release a film like that, where the theaters can't even show it multiple times. They probably have to cut back at least once or twice and therefore make less money. The ego involved with that, I think, is just out of line. I thought it was... It was it was a brooding movie, and so are you I saying that any movie that's over two, two and a half uh, two hours, two hours and forty five minutes, is irresponsible? So I, I mean, do feel that way. that's Lawrence of Arabia. I hmm. mean, you would discount that. You would not say, discount, but let's cut that. Gone with down. the wind. Let's cut. It's not two hours. Oh, no. there's is it Gone, Gone with the, the Gone with the wind is three plus. Yeah, no, man. is it really? It is. Yeah, Godfather is is two hours and fifty eight, fifty five. So there goes 
there goes a lot of films. Godfather Two is even longer, isn't yeah. it? Schindler's List. Is I just three think it's plus. an irresponsible choice. It was too long. I was looking forward to the movie to end. Point number two. I'm going to be the only person. I'm, I'm going to be the lone wolf here. I had trouble with Ryan in the lead. Huh. I don't think he was soulful enough. He wasn't raw. He wasn't gritty. He's too pretty. He looks like he's still on the Mickey Mouse Club where he got his start. There's something very boyish about him, and I just wasn't. I can it. see where you're saying that. I, 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 I kind of, I get what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah, I do. I do too. I, I need I someone a little bit more weathered and weary, and someone who's gone to battle more. No, I really, a pretty face. I really like Gosling. And I liked him in this movie, but I but I think this deserves its own podcast. It's funny if you love movies. There was this era of actors like Robert Mitchum, where you're like, that guy could kick my ass. Yeah. And I don't know that any of the male actors that are the tops now have that problem. Probably because they didn't fight in World War II. Tom Hardy has a little bit of that. He does, yeah. Tom right. Hardy looks like he could probably punch somebody and yeah. fuck him up. I want. Here's what I'm trying to say with my first point. I'm embracing more and more economical filmmaking kind of like what we used to teach in speech and debate you go in you make your point and pull out mm. it was long it was brooding enough of the close-ups of the toy horse we get it <laughs> we get it and they're hitting us over the head with that imagery enough already and there were parts i uh, we'll get to the money shot portion at the, at the end when he's feeling the snow i get it i was feeling it however i think a the movie was much too long b i could not accept the lead it didn't work for me I thought it was a long, laborious film. Huh. I I like long films. I like I like seeing them in the theater and when there there's no distractions with your phone or your your computer or anything else. Just being forced into, as you were saying, Craig, the world and seeing a lot of these long visuals that took their time and was it was a slow pacing on purpose. And I really I like that. Um, I think sometimes it does get two long reds for example i mean you're talking about long films i just sat there with reds and i i wanted to slip my wrists i was like it's speaking of red i'm seeing red um <laughs> i it, love reds i can't way. stand reds because it's that. so overly I, that movie needs some scissors and just, but i i understand i get it i happen to be a fan i and i i understand where other people like it and i can understand what you're saying with films that are too long but i think some films they need the epic like long time to really say the the story right. What I will say about this film is I think they they said, look, if we're going to do this, we need to do this right. Now, this is a guy's vision of here's what I think is the right way to do it. I never felt like they were, um, like they were, I I felt like a lot of the stuff that they were doing, you said it was heavy handed, Ira, um, but I think a lot of the stuff they were doing forced you to have to kind of reconsider what was happening in the original film. They were trying to connect and, and extend some of that uh, that was happening in the first film. And I felt like it was a really good companion piece to the first film. Um, I do think that there was a difference in mood and, and style that you were talking about, Craig. I, w- I would give it that, but I did feel like it it fit. You could play them back to back and not feel like, oh, that, that's totally different. Like, this is a completely there different were, artist. There were a lot of set pieces. Incredible. Uh, the woman being born, falling through the tube, the fallopian tube. And mm-hmm. these were incredible visuals, incredible cinematography. But in my mind, that does not a good film make. That was an incredible sequence, watching her birth, only to be stabbed in the gut with a knife. And, and there was just a lot of those set pieces that were dazzling to the eye. Agreed. But, but you felt like a lot of sound and a good great. story make. You know, I, I, to me, the sequence, um, there, there were two that I really loved. Um, 
the sequence where the hologram wants to make love with him. Yeah. And so she hires the prostitute. Yeah. And then she overlays herself on the prostitute. You know, the, the original Blade Runner did this too where you get into this moment. I don't know about you guys, but I was thinking like, could I fall in love with a hologram? You know, could knowing it's an operating system, you know, and could I give myself over to this idea that that she and I have enough of a soulful emotional connection that she's going to overlay herself on someone I don't know, and we're going to have a sexual experience? And I thought that it, those questions were interesting in the same way when I saw the original Blade Runner. I was, you know, because Sean Young is stunning in the original Blade Runner, and when you see that, and you're thinking about from Deckard's point of view, and I don't know if we want to get into this, but I'm just going to drop this bomb right now. I still think Deckard's human. Um, I do too. Yeah, I think he's human. And I, I think the, the film very intentionally sort of like skirted Ridley Scott's all he's a replicant. And, and we don't want to get into it because if people listen to it, they should see the movie. Oh, no. Wait, but, fuck. If, I, I say if you've got – I'll spoil we, the shit out of this movie. Okay. So. so and my point is just I remember when I saw the original movie and he uh, – they're in his apartment and he doesn't let her go and he's in love with her and she lets her hair down. Yeah. And you're like – she is beautiful. Like I'm falling in love with her, but she's a robot, and and those are the questions I like. She's I think, also fucking crazy, Sean Young, yeah, the actress. The, but she's but nuts. Ra- she's nuts. But okay, go ahead. I, I don't know Miss Young personally, oh. but but uh, but I thought this movie raised those things too. Real fast, our uh, producer Joey just I gave know, me a list. You're gonna give me three films that no, have I'm, a very long I'm gonna give you type. a dozen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Real all fast. Right. I'm just gonna rattle these off. These are all movies that are really long. All right. So here we go. Here's movies that Ira thinks are irresponsible. For their length. Yes. The for their Irresponsible length. filmmaking. Yeah. For their length, yeah. Right. Movies that Ira hates. Forrest Gump, Saving Private Ryan, The Godfather, Goodfellas, Green Mile, Godfather Part 2, Pulp Fiction, Schindler's List, Shawshank Redemption, The Departed, Braveheart, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, Titanic, Dark Knight, Apocalypse Now, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Gone with the Wind, Lord of the Rings, right, Fellowship right, of right, the Ring, right. Inception, Scarface, Avatar, Casino, Django Unchained, pretty much anything by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, yeah. Should Maybe I go on? Just, no, and thank you so much for producing. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing research on that on your own, that, independently. That's and good sharing that. No, yeah, she, she knew that's what but I can wanted. I, can I, actually I still back think up, it was long and laborious. Can I back I do. up something that I read where I will back Please, up Please, I yeah. can use your help now. No, no, I'm... I'm, I'm t- <laughs> while, while I... I absolutely, you know, my favorite movie, my Desert Island movie, Seven Samurai. Akira Kurosawa, and that's a three-hour, 50-minute film. Um, but uh, usually as a rule, I'm with you, Ira. I think that the ideal length of a movie is about 90 minutes to two hours. Um, and I think that responsible filmmaking is what can go. You know, what is the, what's the story? And I would say the, the rule is usually people, their movies are bloated. And I think when you see movie makers who are amazing editors... I always respect that. I, I think it's very rare that a movie that runs over two and a half hours had to be two and a half hours. So I agree with what you're saying in principle, but I do think that there are these great movies. Like, I wouldn't cut a frame of Seven Samurai. So it, it, right, and nor would I but for Lawrence. Even our film, maybe this even this. our film, we have the throw-up scene. That doesn't advance the story. I mean, this, no, I'm not, it's a really my, prolonged... My argument is not every scene has to advance a story. It's fun to texture and learn about the characters. Oh, all right. And all our right. film came in at 99. Actually, you wrote no, it was really 100 minutes, but I noticed you put down 99 because it looks... Well, it's, it's like 
two seven or something like that so but the point is ours was a little bit over an hour and a half but i like those long scenes especially in independent films where you can get away with that kind of filmmaking it's expected it's appreciated here i just didn't like the movie i still embrace the words long and laborious what was the story what's the deal the baby was it a boy was it a girl What's this thing about saving humanity? Because well, the rep- can I, let's talk. One th- one thing that I've noticed, and, and I noticed this when I was getting my top five ready for sci-fi films. Almost every sci-fi film seems to be centered around the idea of someone that is not human wrestling with their identity to become human, right? So, I mean, that's what a lot of, like, RoboCop, that's, you know, what that movie basically centers around is what is humanity. Right. Um, Shit, I could sit here, Blade Runner is certainly in that category. Oh my God, RoboCop. Can I adjust my top five? (laughs) But, I mean, we could could rattle off how many movies that are sci-fi films that basically take a a cyborg or an android or whatever. It's Pinocchio. Right. It's, it's right. Not only is that guy, yeah. it's about, it's four Outer Limits episodes, three Twilight Zone episodes. Yes. It's a staple right. in, in science fiction. This movie did something different, which was, it, and I would almost say this is kind of anti-wave, where you take a an android and you say, hey, listen, you might be human and he's not comfortable with the idea. And he's going, no, I don't, I don't want to be human. I want to, I just want to fulfill my role as an android. And that's interesting to me when Ryan Gosling's character thinks for the large majority of the movie that he might be human. And he's like, what? Like he's pissed off. That his memories were not necessarily inserted. Right. They were real memories. And now he's angry and he's frustrated. He's going, what the fuck? And that was the first time we ever see him truly emote was when he basically kind of gets it confirmed of like... Oh yeah, kicks yep. the chair. Yeah, he kicks the chair yeah. and he's angry. I, no, I, I didn't really buy his acting in that particular moment, but I, I like the the concept behind it. And then towards the end, we find out, no, dude, no, nah, you're just you're another fucking robot. And then now he's really wrestling with like, well, what the fuck then? You know, and, and I like that kind of uh, zig and zag of about humanity and, and pulling the rug out from underneath You, you know, I don't want to get too abstruse or whatever, but... Um, I'm also I love reading, and I'm actually reading Charles Dickens' Bleak House right now. Um, and I, I nod like I've read that. <laughs> I, I I love Dickens, and I, I anyway. It's been a long time. I'm reading Bleak House, yada yada. But um, I what I do think the weakest part of Blade Runner 2049, I actually think the story was a little simplistic, and it was convoluted. Like. I was trying to figure out because wow, they simplistic and convoluted. Well, in this sense, because because in the end, it, it becomes a father daughter thing, um, yeah. and it's also were they twins? Like, were they trying to cover her up with Gosling? Like, why does he have her memory? What was the role he played in the orphanage? There were these questions. Maybe if I see it again, I'd, I'd get it. Um, there were things I was a little lost on, um, and I think the plotting. I guess what I'm trying to get at is if we're going to go spoiler, like. He goes to see her, and she's set up as the one who makes the memories. Right. And it's very good screenwriting because you're like, oh, she's the one who makes the memories. And then there's a callback, oh, but she's more. Um, And you didn't see it. That's good writing, like plant and payoff. But it didn't, to me, it wasn't as emotionally satisfying as the best storytelling. And when I I agree. Yet when I read Charles Dickens, there are these things where his his books are always about reveals and you didn't know you were this person or this person who's, you know, who's been in your life the whole time is not who you think they are. And I was trying to figure out, I still really like 2049. Very Oedipus. Yeah. And, and I was just trying to think, I still very much liked Blade Runner 2049. And I thought there were amazing things in it. Um, but I did think there was a, a slight clunkiness to the storytelling. I really... 
did you like this the scene when they okay when they go get Harrison Ford when they go get Deckard the old town with all the women who it's were like the, yeah. the statues who were getting like fucked yeah. up the ass and stuff yeah did I what are you doing right well now, I'm just Bobby? saying that was did that I had like to been your favorite part did it make right? me hard sure yeah sure the, yeah by the way that was a sequence where in Las Vegas right where he was living in was that, that Vegas the, it, I didn't know it was Vegas it, it, but it's Vegas, I read yeah. it afterwards it? it was Las it Vegas, Vegas yeah. yeah and then even even that scene with Elvis and Frank that was actually singing. my second favorite scene oh then I'll just <laughs> No, keep going. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of agree with you, Ira. Do you agree I, on that? The Elvis thing was like, and we'll put this in. It'll be really cool to juxtaposition when they don't know if they should fight each other, and we'll have Elvis singing in the background. That's fucking... I, it seemed, for forced. me, contrived. Yeah. But you disagree. You actually like that Well, it's so so to me, the to me, the movie, the, the two sequences I loved, I already talked about the hologram making love sequence, which I thought was probably the best sequence in the movie where she overlays herself on the prostitute. And, and it's a hologram and a android having a sexual experience because yeah. they both yeah. want to connect. Yeah. That was my favorite scene. And then my second favorite, I actually thought Harrison Ford brought it. Like, I enjoyed him. And I loved when he poured the whiskey for the dog. Yeah. Like, there were these Harrison Ford touches because there was a 10-year period where Harrison Ford seemed not so thrilled with acting. And he was, I, I just feel there were a lot of movies where... I think he's still that way, isn't it? He yeah. comes across that way. He, he, well, and a lot of people would still say so. What I'm hoping, though, because I love Harrison Ford. I think Witness, Mosquito Coast. I love Witness. Yeah. I love Witness. You know he's got it. I yeah. mean, Indiana Jones. And I just want to see him go out, uh, you know, with a few really... And I thought this one, he actually, uh, he there was a strength to him. And it, I enjoyed watching him. I thought he did a good job. The only problem with it is towards the end... He needed to be saved. Like, what's up with that? Like, I, he is seventy-five. Yeah, but ah. but we're so used to seeing him. That was a little odd. Like, he was just handcuffed. Yeah, there. like seeing him almost drown and have to be saved by Ryan Gosling. And I was like, really? That's not the Harrison Ford I know. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. It, it was. I, I interesting choice too. Yeah, I was. I was surprised that he wasn't more active in the climax. Now, speaking of Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Now, you guys actually—I don't know if you know this or not—but the two of you share an interesting connection with we Has- do? Haskell Wexler. Oh, oh. Now, <laughs> I, I slept in his bed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty cool dude. <laughs> uh, I was going to say because Harrison Ford was on *An American Graffiti*, and Haskell Wexler was a visual advisor. That's correct for *American Graffiti*. Right. right. And Not listed as a cinematographer, by the way, but as a visual consultant. Did you that work on graffiti? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. What did you do on graffiti? He was a cinematographer. No, what did you do? Oh, what, no, no, I did not work on Oh, okay. Sorry. No, just Haskell Got and it. Harrison. Go ahead. Did you fuck his daughter? <laughs> Who haven't I fucked? <laughs> did, you, did you fuck his daughter in his bed? I, well, for, I lived with her, with Kathy, the daughter. That's how I knew Haskell. And we had our first date. This is going back many, many years. Okay. And she, I said, Kathy, uh, what's your last name? And when she said Wexler, I said, any relation to Haskell? And she was really impressed that I knew the name. And then when I rattled off all 13 of his films in I've always had love of cinematography. All 13 of his films in order. Who can do that? Ira yeah. can do that. And so uh, we became a couple. And we hung out in the Malibu colony. You're not uh, answering my question. Lived. No, I'm not. And, um, Did you fuck her had, in the bed? had breakfast with Caleb Dachanel right when oh, he was wow. doing... Uh, Black Stallion? Black, how do you know? Was gonna, Black Stallion? Because that's the Caleb Dachanel oh, movie. Oh, talk about yeah. cinematography. Um, Did yes, you fuck her in the bed? Your, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we were That's my man. We were high, yeah. We just did a high five. Um, yeah, so I... With Haskell, we had a house sit. 
And so, but I got very close with Haskell's mom. Weird. <laughs> look, look now you Robert. have a connection with you, Haskell as well, know, right? Man, how do you know? Well, so I, you know, um, Haskell, it's funny. We're getting both those stories, Kirk Douglas story and that, excuse me, the Haskell story. Um, so uh, I was dating a woman, a very talented woman uh, named Sarah Gerfield, incredible tour, uh, director, and she directed Proof. Um, she mm. was doing a version at Santa Monica. And um, the, her lead turned out to be the assistant for Haskell. So um, this was a few years ago, but Wexler wanted to do his assistant a favor, and he said, I'll film it. Um, do you have any other cameramen? And my girlfriend, Sarah, at the time was like, oh, yeah, Haskell Wexler's going to come. And I was like, uh, if he needs a second cameraman, uh, I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. Here. And Wexler said, sure. So I brought my camera. Wexler brought his camera, and he had a third cameraman who was handling the master. And um, he and I swapped tripods, and one of us handheld the first act, and then the other one handheld the second act. And so I got to shoot, and he and I were talking about how to cover it. And, and that was just, like, it was just amazing wow. to be talking with Haskell Wexler about how to cover this as a cameraman. <laughs> and he was very cool. He was like, you know, and, and I think this is a hallmark of really talented people. He was like, you know what you're doing. Just, he's like, just make sure you get, you know, just, just do it right. He, he wasn't, like, micromanaging me or anything. And I was like, you know what you're doing, just don't fuck it up. <laughs> so... Uh, so we did it, and then afterwards, actually for this film I still hope to make, um, I had the script, and I asked him if he wouldn't mind reading it, and, and just if I could just pick his brain, because when is that going to happen again? And he said, sure. So I go to his place, and he sat down and with Ira's me. And Ira's there, fucking his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I went to his place, and he spent about two and a half hours with me. And he told me stories about Aaliyah Kazan when they shot America, America. He talked about how he worked with Mike Nichols on Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And he said, look, we put a camera on a bicycle to get dolly shots in that house because it was so narrow. He talked to me about how to cover movement of characters. He told me I should shoot my, my forest sequence day for night. But it was funny. He didn't like my script. And this is maybe going to what I think honest, creative people were. He said it with such love. But he was like, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's just about a guy trying to get a piece of ass. That's just what the script is. And, you know, in my head, I was like, I don't think that's what it's about. But, but you know, I, but I wanted to hear him out. And then he said, but listen, I turned down some pretty big movies. <laughs> he was like, I turned down Star Wars. Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. <laughs> he told Lucas it was crap. He read, he was the first cinema, Lucas wanted him because they worked together on so many other things right. prior to that. And he said, this is a mess. It'll never get made. No, it's no good. And, and he, yeah, and, and so has. He's right. I think he was kind of right. right. right with this, well. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, history has turned us. With Star Wars. Well, like, no, no, I'm not a. It was the script was it was a comic it, book. Well, what you know, I mean, this, again, this is like a whole other conversation. But um, yeah. um, the, the the end of the Wexler story just is he was a generous man who took two and a half hours, and even though he didn't like my script, talked to me about cinematography and how to handle things, and I learned things from him. Like he was talking about how to move, uh, motivate uh, entrances and exits, and people getting up. And I was sitting here being like, I'm sitting with the guy who worked with Hal Ashby, Mike Nichols, Aaliyah Kazan, medium cool, shot all these documentaries. Right. Uh, and he is so generous. Wow. He, Yet he has the reputation of being a curmudgeon. I've heard. He was not very, with me. He was fired. From, well, you know all this. Yeah, yeah. He was fired from two major productions. They had to let him go. He was so difficult. Well, well and I mean, the heartbreak and, story. And, and they've rectified it now is Cuckoo's Nest. Right. Where he shot eighty percent of Cuckoo's Nest, that's right. And then uh, Foreman had to let him go because of his left leaning. That's the and story. Foreman was so like nervous that they were going to come after him because Wexler, Wexler was almost like a communist right. or socialist. Right. And they put um, 
Bill Butler's name on right, the picture, right. and Wexler had shot eighty percent of it, right. and they finally have corrected that, right. and his name now is on. That's what happened with Dave, uh, Days of Heaven. You know yeah. the story in, in a courtroom with a stopwatch, and they were timing how much of it was shot by Haskell, and what was the other cinematographer? Mendros. Right, right. Yeah. Craig knows his shit, I man. like this guy. <laughs> all right. Yeah, well, okay. listen, we got to start wrapping this thing up. We so, do? Yeah, we do. Oh. So first of all, let's go back to Blade Runner. Let's talk about our, our money shots. So, Craig, we want, want you to think about what scene from the movie is going to be the money shot for you that you think about when somebody, if you never watch this movie again, and 10 years from now, somebody says, hey, Blood, Blade Runner 2049, what's going to be the visual that pops into your head? So think about it for a second, and we'll come back to you. Ira, what's your money shot? <laughs> what's, yeah. Closing credits, because I knew it was over. No. So, all right, all right. You know what? I truly was moved. And again, often the money shot, not necessarily, but often it's near the end of a film, perhaps even the very last image. And for me, it is. And I was moved when Ryan, even though I wasn't buying into Ryan, was feeling the snow yeah. on the hand and on the face. That moment did work for me. Yeah, it, I really like that moment as well. That's definitely one of my money shots. I, I also like, I did like the Vegas porno girls, because I thought the way they shot it was really interesting. The big statues and the fingernails coming down and kind of alluding to the sexual acts but never really showing it. I thought that was really interesting. I'm surprised I went perverted and you didn't. <laughs> Alright, that's my second one. Yeah. What about you? I thought those statues were a clockwork orange uh, shout out. Oh, is that what it was? That was my feeling. Huh. They look so much like when they're in the yeah. milk bar. Yeah. Yeah, those statues. Um, There's some, some great motorcycles outside here. Uh, that's just me on my hog. <laughs> <laughs> I got a, I got a busto, guys. And then you just it should add an effect of me like peeling out <laughs> later. Um, I gotta go watch me some fast bend there. Um, the no, I've already talked about it. My it's very idiosyncratic. I don't think it's the. I love the scene where the hologram and wanted to make love to him yeah. and overlaid herself on the prostitute who I think is also an android. Right. And that was all the layers of that uh, were fascinating to me. As I was thinking about it. Yeah. All right. Did well, you see her? Of course you did. H-E-R. I have not, no. The Spike Jones picture, I haven't, no. I just flashed on that because I when they had the good. sex surrogate come to the door, yeah. that was... That's a smart I'm, movie. I'm, that's a smart, smart film. It actually won Best Original Screenplay. It got the Oscar for that. Her, please see it. I, I truly to. recommend it. All right, well, what do we think? So overall, Ira, what kind of grade would you I'm give I'm giving this? it a solid... I, again, I want to first say the cinematography, the art direction, all that was just top-notch, but you already know my negatives. I'm giving it a C, between a C and a C+. Plus. Oh, all right, I would give it... Um, I think I would give this movie... Well, Craig, go ahead. What do you What do you give this? I give it a B plus, A minus. I think I would give it an A minus, B plus area as well. Probably a B plus. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, was good. Um... There were some the the drawbacks that you're talking about. I didn't buy Gosling some of the some of the time, but um, but overall, it, it's definitely worth watching and and decent movie to check out. Absolutely. Hey, all right, we did it. Well, next up, we got to talk about our top five. So I want to start, Craig. You got to get a, you have a hard out here, and uh, I want to get you out yeah, really like, soon. Yeah, in like five minutes. Okay, Uh-oh. so we got to do some top fives. So let's hit it. So we'll, let's do that. Go ahead, Vern. It's time to give a listen, you little creeps, to our top five. Let's talk about our top five sci-fi movies. Craig, as our guest of honor, would you like to go first? What's your number five sci-fi movie? Uh, I would say the one I'm watching right now, World on a Wire, uh, which is by Rainer Werner Fassbender, and I think he did it for German TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing. And in fact, um, the you know he made this movie, I think, in 72, 73. And uh, basically, the scientists are involved in a project where they're creating a... They call it simulacrum, 
and it's a world, like a virtual reality world. I mean, Spielberg has just made this movie, and it's called uh, Ready Player Go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a kind of thing where it's a simulacrum world. And then slowly in the movie, the scientists uh, keep going crazy, and they keep promoting someone to be head scientist. And what you realize is that they begin to feel like maybe they as well are in a simulacrum. And that they thought they were real, but they, in fact, are also maybe... It's a dream within a dream. It's that kind of... Within a dream. Inception. Oh, is that what the movie is? <laughs> but but it's done really well. Okay. That's my number five. Ira, what's your number five? I first five? want to say this to you, that I keep embracing you guys the word favorite. I've got other films that are not in my top five that are perhaps either more interesting or more provocative or even better movies. But I keep going back to that word favorite and what that word means. My number five... Close Encounters, Spielberg, 1977. When I first saw it, I was blown away by it. Great the, the movie. incredible music, the incredible music of that film, and it was it was. That's one of its best. On, but it's just. Okay. I'm sorry. What is that? Never mind. Go ahead. Okay. My number five is a movie that I I can already feel I'm going to get a lot of shit for, but I really like it. It's a lot of fun for me. Caddyshack. <laughs> Did you see it already? Did you see my list? <laughs> no. Oh. One of the great No, I'm just not Caddyshack. Caddyshack 2. Uh, no, but my f- number five is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I know people didn't like it. I know it wasn't well received. And I just, it really tickled me. I love, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Sam. Uh, oh, Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Yeah. I think he's such an amazing actor. And I, I just love watching him on screen do anything. But I, I really enjoyed it. Um, that's one of my favorite movies. So I do have like these guilty pleasures. I can go deep art house, but I also like the candy popcorn kind of movies too. So Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Nice. Mm. Number four. Craig, number four. You know, and we this is another huge conversation because sci-fi, we, there's like action sci-fi. Yeah. There's fantasy. What is sci-fi? Right. What is sci-fi? There's fantasy sci-fi. There's horror sci-fi. This is really an action movie, but I think it is one of the greatest movies. And that's James Cameron's Aliens. I just I love Aliens. I, I just think it's it's a fun nonstop film. So that's my four. Would you put it above Alien? Well, I, I, guess I'm, I'm, I would. I'm okay, but it's idiosyncratic. I think Alien is equally amazing. Yeah. But I love those movies. Like I love Hitchcock's Thirty Nine Steps. Yeah. Where it starts and it never stops. And when you see Aliens, it's actually he does this brilliant thing. I've noticed all great action movies do, where the first half not a lot happens. And then you're like, but it's still, you're there, you're there, you're there. And then from the moment it kicks in, about it like- It doesn't an, stop. It doesn't stop. Yeah. And you're like, you're slapping yourself. You're like, I can't believe this exists. So yeah. aliens. All right. Ira, what's your number four? My number four, Forbidden Planet, 1956. Walter Pidgeon and Francis. Yeah. Uh, Leslie Nielsen, when he was a serious actor, before he became funny. Oh, that's just what you think. If you go back and you watch those, he was actually doing his comedic shtick back Even then. Even in Forbidden Planet? Yeah. There was, yeah. A, there was a comedic <laughs> shtick to it? No, you're just... I'm fucking with you, of course. Just, uh, but I want to say that, obviously, it was the first feature film to take place, the bulk of it in a, foreign, in a different planet other than other than earth and a robot with a personality and the monster was the monster of the id it mm. was all about the evil inside all of us that's pretty cerebral stuff for 1956 my number four is a movie from 1985 one of terry gilliam's best brazil great call and man i love brazil that movie is so fucking weird and it really also just I mean, it's such a great testament to the bureaucracy of life. Uh, Robert De Niro has a great cameo as the plumber in that. And, uh, oh, my gosh, the movie's it, it's it makes you so frustrated with the system. And, uh, yeah, I love Brazil. Nice. Yeah, I do, too. That's a yeah. great, great call. 
Um, my number three is actually Blade Runner. Um, and I would say the... Like, the first one. The first one. The first one. And um, He's saving 2049 for his number one spot. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe. I, so I'm a vivid dreamer. And um, I do think that movies are dreams, um, beautiful dreams. And I think when filmmakers really achieve something, you're almost in their dream in a way. And Blade Runner is one of those few films where I don't think the story is particularly strong, but I get lost in a dream for two hours and I, it just takes me somewhere. The atmosphere in that movie. Yeah. The atmosphere. The yeah. Vangelis score. Yeah. Yeah. What's, What's your number, number four? Yeah. My or number three, three. three. My number three, Starman. I love oh. that film, 1984. John, what are you smiling? I'm just laughing. I, I, that's a funny movie. Is it, well, John Carpenter, I always forget John Carpenter directed this film with Jeff Bridges uh, and with Karen Allen. Great music and Charles Martin Smith. Um, it's a science fiction story with incredible heart. I love that film, Starman. It does have heart. It does have heart. He was nominated for Best Actor. Didn't I, win. Yeah, I remember it. I, I really love it. It's a solid film. All right. My number three movie is from 2009. Again, starring my favorite actor, Sam Rockwell, Moon. Another good one. Really good one. Moon is such a great movie. And, uh, you know, again, this concept of what it means to be a human and uh, whether he, as a, a copy of himself, is human. Where is he the original human? How many humans are there on the moon? And, and he kind of is doomed to repeat this same life over and over and over again. Really interesting story. Yeah, and it has that great heartbreaking reveal where, isn't it, I only saw it once, but doesn't he always think he's about to go home? And yeah, then he has the I realization so. that all that footage of his wife and his kid is probably like... Replayed. Replayed over and over and over yeah. again. And, and then he starts great. discovering dead versions of himself. Yeah. Yeah. And it does a smart thing because it reveals that early. Yeah. yeah. So you get the reveal and then you just get to work on it. Yeah. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is uh, Solaris, the the Tarkar- Tarkovsky um, Russian movie. I'm mean, everyone. You know, if you anyway, it's like 1971, 72, and you know, um, my number one, which we all may have the num- same number one or not. I, I would actually put these two in the same category, which is there's a kind of speculative science fiction that um, I would call it like the closest that atheists get to God, where I think when an atheist, uh, I think aliens for atheists or intelligence that isn't our intelligence. I think that's the scientific God, Mm -hmm. is this notion that there might be a race or a planet or a culture that's a million years more advanced than us and that we would attribute God-like qualities to and that what we consider transcendence or in our very limited human way would possibly be the intelligence of an alien civilization. And I think in Solaris, um, the premise is dynamite. There's this ship. A guy's got to go up to the ship. Yeah. Some weird stuff's happening on the ship. And it turns out that people's fantasies are becoming material. And he's trying to figure it out. And suddenly his dead wife comes shows back. up, comes back. And he can't deal with it. And she keeps coming back. And it's it's just too much for him. And what did you think of this, the uh, the more modern? The Soderbergh uptown, Yeah, Soderbergh version. You know, I liked it. I, but it, but it's like remaking Citizen Kane. It's like, <laughs> it's like you could do an amazing remake. But is it... That's just one of those. I filed those under like why. You know what? I think I think it made it more accessible. It I think, did. Yeah. Uh, I, the problem was the people who would like that film, the more accessible version of it. Probably it's not too big of a reach for them to go watch the Tarkovsky version. I think they probably would, are more comfortable with Russian cinema. So I don't. It's like more accessible for who the people who would 
go down the street and watch the other movie anyway. And I think it's I think the Soderbergh Clooney version is really good. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I actually think it's maybe one of their unsung collaborations. Yeah. But um, but but anyway, yeah. Ira, number two, The Fly, the remake, the second one, 1986 with David Cronenberg. I think we spoke about this once before yeah. with mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. I thought it's science fiction horror. It's science fiction. It is. Yeah. I, I'm buying that. And I think the cinematography, the music, and it's it's this grand operatic horror film. It's real well made. The Fly. Yeah, totally. it is. Uh, my number two is a movie from 2004 where they used every single frame of footage shot on 16 millimeters. So they did shoot on film. And they used every frame of footage except for the flash frames in between the takes. Uh, they said they had no frames of footage left over. Primer. Dynamite pick. I love that. We talked... Go ahead. Talk about mood. Now, there are a lot of story problems. And if you sit there and try to analyze the story, it's confusing as fuck. And I think that's also kind of playing into... Like, they they were kind of looking out and going, well, this kind of works because it does get confusing. The story starts to get confusing. But um, they... It's such a well-crafted movie. And the it is the best... Uh, director's commentary I've ever heard. If you ever get a chance huh. to listen to his director's commentary, he just does such a great job of, of really trying to pass the torch on to upcoming filmmakers and say, here's some of the things I learned along the way, and here's things that if I was to do this again, here's what I would do differently. Stuff like that. It's really, really What a great. compelling movie. Yeah. It was so, yeah. You yeah. know, because so you guys said I had to do a top five. I actually have it in my special mentions. I, I think Primer is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, and as you're saying, an example, those guys, I think they made it for 30000 or 40000 Yeah, something really, really low budget. And, and it, but it stands up. It's just yeah. amazing. One of the few truly believable time travel movies. I agree. Um, I, I can't think of any others that, that really are that believable. It, yeah. No, it's amazing. And, and, and transcends its budget. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my number one is 2001. And uh, it's in my top ten. And, um, you know, there's so many levels that you can discuss that film on. Um, but I often like to talk about... Um, I think that Kubrick was an atheist. I'm pretty sure that he was an atheist. And um, you see that film, but I don't know. I mean, I never spoke to the man. Um, but that movie is the most hopeful film ever made in the history of movies because it posits that not only will we endure, but we'll eventually connect with an alien civilization and we'll evolve and become citizens of the universe. And I don't know any movie that's made like, don't wait, like, and it's funny that he made it after Strange Love, which ends in nuclear annihilation. Yeah. And the next film is, it's it, hopeful, and hopeful, but but it's the ultimate hope. It's yeah. don't worry, we're going to get off the planet. We're going to be part of the intergalactic community. And to me, I always say that this is the the God as science. There there are different kinds of God movies, and this is the God as science movie where Dave Bowman goes to that Stargate. He doesn't that monolith. What does that thing represent? He goes somewhere. You go somewhere that you're like, where am I? And I think that movie gets close to... When you think about this whole tradition of myth we have where Orpheus goes to the underworld. Right. Or we want to know what the afterworld is like or what the bardo or, or our next life. What is that? What is? I think that movie comes as close as almost anything to... And I think David Lynch does a really good job at this too. Here's what may be beyond our ken in this level of existence. Yeah. And 2001 just... I, that movie, uh, it, it's one of my scoops of ice cream. It's like a bonus one that I included. It's not my number one, but let me just say that it affected me deeply. And I saw it at the Warner Cinerama here on Hollywood Boulevard and was so 
moved by it. And we talked about the last line of the novel. Remember, Stoughton, not when we made fun of it, but this, I think... That was Star, like our first bonding moment. Our first, it was. Yeah. But in the actual, a star child doesn't know what it's to do with its newfound powers, but it will think of something. And that's supporting what you, that beautiful premise you just said. We came up with our own version, didn't we? And then and the, the Germans, Germans came. came. I don't know what that means. That's our weird humor. Oh, no. My number one, and again, I've got to say this one last time, not, not, terribly interesting favorite favorite film and other films i did not include that are more provocative or just better but gang the original time machine a 1960 um and it was um with george powell directed that i forgot with with rod taylor and i it 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 did i was 13 years old when i saw it in the Mm -hmm. theater and i was at the right age and i still remember i had the comic book and just looking at that time machine that was a sled with that huge disc that rotated behind him and I was so thinking about where I would go with that and I I went back to see it again and again and that famous ending about three books are missing from his shelf which three books would you take back to the future and it was always an interesting values question about I just love that film with Rod Taylor and I'm embracing the word favorite it was my favorite sci-fi movie that's really interesting I I like that it's probably not the best. No, movie. it's not, not the best. Call, but not the most interesting. Not the most provocative. That's, that's You're the same thing. More heady, no, heady but stuff. But Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, same I, thing. That was your. Tw- I mean, yeah, that, that is right. one of my favorite right. movies. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just fun to watch. You yeah. sit back and watch it. Yeah. My number one uh, is from 1997, and I've noticed that my top three: Moon, Primer, and also this one. I, are all very realistic films and I think that's what I really value out of sci-fi films are films that I could be- believe this is a, a possible future. So my number one sci-fi movie of all time is Gattaca and huh. I think Gattaca is so smart and clever in its execution and it's um, what it's trying to say about society. I think it's really, really interesting. It's a futuristic world that I believe could very well exist and the the comment that he makes something that sticks out to me kind of my my money shot for that whole movie is when he's um he's doing his interview and they they say it's actually illegal for them to test you for your dna but they do it anyway and it that's so true i totally believe that that would happen if dna testing were so commonplace i you know you're not supposed to test someone uh you know for job applicants for their you know their dna abilities you're supposed to take them at their word, on their paper. But of course, who's going to fucking do that? Everybody's going to like test their DNA. I love that movie. I think it's a really great movie. Stellar performances. Gattaca is my number one. And that's Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, and Jude Law. Jude Law, right? yeah. Ethan Hawke. I don't recognize you. All right. Well, can I rattle off real fast some scoops? Do it. What do you got? Body snatchers. The day the Earth stood still. The yes. first one. Music and in that is great. Scanners. Are you fast? Scanners. Oh, yeah, I love. Scanners. Scanners. I always have a thing for Patrick McGowan from The Prisoner. I yeah, bet yeah. you know about that TV show. I do. I do. Okay. I knew you would. I knew you would. Uh, even Back to the Future. Yeah. I thought. Well, wait a minute. How can I not include Back to the Future for talking about favorite? Is that sci-fi? Uh, totally. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, those are my scoops. And also. Goodfellas, which we mentioned earlier. Right? <laughs> All right. Anything that you want to add there, Carl? Oh, you know, I, I wrote down Primer, Alphaville. Uh, actually, a movie I really love, Children of Men, mm, the Alfonso yeah. Cuarón movie, um, and Terminator. All right. Not Terminator 2. Not, well, no, I love Terminator 2, uh, and you can totally put it together, but that goes to, like, Terminator 2 is kind of basically an action movie. Yeah. To the first Terminator. I can see that, yeah. Uh, it's more of sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. All right. Is anyone here familiar with Colossus the Forbin Project? Does that mean anything to either no. of you? No, no, it doesn't. Two supercomputers, 1970, and they talk to each other and take. Anyway, 
All right. Colossus the Worm Project. Okay. Um, also, A Trip to the Moon. That was one of my scoops of ice cream. Oh. One of the first sci-fi movies. Uh, so I love that. That's a really solid and it's short, Ira, so you don't have to worry about it. All right. Is that the one with the famous scene with the eyes? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, hey, we did it. We did it. Craig, we're going to get you out of here a little bit late, but thanks so much for coming down. And let's, let's. do you have anything to plug once you plug the, the Secret 35mm Film Club and, um, and uh, anything else? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, guys. Actually, I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Uh, Absolutely. The, my, my mom always used to say, like, when I was a little kid, I, I, she gave me a Fisher-Price tape cadet cassette thing because i she'd say like she'd want me to go to bed at seven i'd be like i can't turn my mind off so she gave me this cassette and i just record just talk into it so she has these tapes of me at three just like looking out the window and being like now a car's going by now there's a light going on and then she's like because they had to sleep and so actually podcast getting to talk with you guys for an hour and a half is a delight um i just want to give a shout out to my son uh, Craig, yeah. Craig sabino hamill my wife martha hamill uh, the best thing ever happened to me in my life uh, so I feel really blessed. It's great to be here, and I'm thinking of my son, and my wife, and um, yeah, we do. Uh, if you if you want to see great movies in a great movie theater on 35, uh, 35 millimeter secret movie club, just go to our Facebook page, movie club 35 millimeter. Um, you can also email me at movieclub at curiousproductions.com, and I'll put you on the email list. And uh, it's October right now, so we're doing Shining tonight in an hour and a half, basically, on 35. Then we're doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're ending with Young Frankenstein. Yeah, we are. Oh. Yeah. And I think in uh, November, we're doing Coppola epics. So we're doing Godfather 1, Godfather 2, and Apocalypse Now. I want to say that this theater, so, so many of my friends who were here a week and a half ago for the premiere just fell in for love with this. For 30 Love. Yeah, for 30 Love. Did I say it was on Amazon Prime? I love this theater, and I was getting so much feedback about this particular venue. That's great. What a what a cool what a cool place this is. And it reminds you that movies are also meant to be a communal experience. Yes, and yeah. it can be amazing communally. Yeah, four hundred seat. Yeah, three seventy. Three Yeah, three seventy. So, you know, we did. You know, for speaking of communal experiences, you can have a communal experience and watch Thirty Love on Amazon Prime, right, Ira? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> uh, or if you want to send out uh, an email to us, and if you have uh, additional sci-fi movies that you feel like we left off the list, off your list, uh, or if you want to say something about Blade Runner, which I think we talked probably the least about Blade Runner <laughs> of all the movies tonight. Um, but you can send us an email to robert at moneyshotpodcast.net or... And or ira at moneyshotpodcast.net. Or you can send us a message over at Twitter at moneyshotpod or an Instagram message at moneyshotpodcast. We're all over the place. We, we truly we are. We really are. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play. Just go to our website. Or let somebody know about the podcast. So... Tell a friend, spread the word about money shots and, and good films and cum shots. What? Robert? Different kind of money shot. Okay. Different kind of podcast. All right. But anyway, uh, yeah, that was it. Hey. We did it. Good time. I also want to thank producer Joey, which I've not thank been thanking you very much. Joe, thank you, producer Joey. Yay! Applause. Uh, and so until next time, keep watching movies. And we'll help you sort them out. Hey, buddy, guess what? I'd like to fuck, I could fuck, but we're married.